0: Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. It should be a good season for, for robot stuff. Netflix is uh, doing the anime adaptation of Pluto which is uh like a noir version of an Astro Boy story. Uh it's the comic is really good. It's sitting on my shelf right now. Easily one of my top 10 favorite comics of all time. Very curious to see how the Netflix adaptation goes cuz those things can be, you know, real hit and miss. Oh, yeah. more
1: miss than hit. <laughs> yeah. I, I or it, you know, a season and a half of hit and then well, we're done making that. Well, what? I, but I was watching that, and, you know...
2: Well, with, know. The, with, the, with
1: the anime <laughs> stuff, is, I think they've... Uh, I don't know what studios
2: they've grabbed for certain projects. Like, the Scott Pilgrim one I'm optimistic on, because it's science Saru, and I love that studio. But then, I don't know what the studio they did for that, like... Will Smith's Son's anime that came out, and then, like, Scissor 7, and, like... I don't know, like... They don't have a very good track record when it comes to, like, actually producing the anime.
0: Yeah. um, I was also, also like,
2: oddly mad when they started picking up anime. And they would get, like, they would get exclusive streaming rights for it. And they would call it, like, a Netflix original. I'm like, no, 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 you didn't. No, stop. (laughs) You didn't. That's not original to you.
1: It's that, here I made this. And the little guy looks at it. I made this. <laughs> it's that's what yeah, it is. Exactly, because
2: like, they do that with Arrested,
1: like, like Arrested Development, and Hulu does it too. Hulu has tacked on a new little intro before the new Futurama episodes, and then they have their normal, you know, regular episode with the with the titles and the the Planet Express flying into the uh, screen. There, all that's the same, but they've had a Hulu original. It's like, are you?
2: Yeah. They- like, I don't mind the, like, n- need to, like, I don't know, pee on it to claim that it's yours, but, like, at least say, <laughs> at least say, like, Hulu exclusive only on Hulu or something like that, you know? Yeah. Netflix exclusive. an exclusive. There you go. There you go. And have that one for free. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> it just, I don't know, it just, it just bugs me to call, call it, like, an original, like, it's no, no, it's not. Stop. You're lying.
1: <laughs> they should just there should just be like a, a industry like okay, we're doing this now and just have that as a stamp before. It's like fine, fine, but like it's it's not yours. Yeah, exactly.
2: You're going to lose the rights in like 2 years when you have to pay 2 billion to get friends again. Uh mm-hmm.
0: and that's assuming that they have the rights to the whole thing to begin with.
2: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. I'm Kumu? still
0: <laughs> only has, like, two seasons of Yu Yu Hakusho and only four seasons of Steven Universe. And I, like, got really invested in these shows, and I have no idea how they end.
2: You, you want to know, like, what one of my biggest beefs is with, like, Netflix? <laughs> it's it's that they they paid, I don't know how much money they paid for Friends. I pulled that number out of my butt. But they paid a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money for Friends. So they have it for, like, a year. And then, like, that same year... They got the exclusive rights to stream uh, Evangelion, which has never been on streaming platforms until that point, and they didn't pay the extra money to get the license for "Fly Me to the Moon" for the end credits, and it just— Oh my gosh, that's right! Seriously, it, oh, it hurts me. It hurts me so much. <laughs> like it can't, it can't be that expensive of a song. It's all over the place.
1: Well, that's oh, <sighs> that's something that bothered me on TV when they do reruns. Like, the dumbest thing. Scrubs. Scrubs had a U2 song and some other music from one of their seasons. And when you watched TV repeat, repeats of it, they'd have completely different music. It's like, you cheap pieces of crap. I know no one mm-hmm. involved here except for the, like, actors or writers, uh, as it turns out, probably the writers, or were hurting for money. It's like, why why, why not just... ah. Uh. Yes. or or it, do original music from the beginning and own it yourself and and then oh darn we keep making money every time we replay this episode that we've sold for people who want to have our you know our reruns just yeah. oh, it makes it, me mad.
2: it kills me like especially with like evangelion cuz they recorded different versions of flying to the moon for each of the 26 episodes uh and so so like to have that gone, I'm just like, oh, that's such a bummer. But I mean, it's not like it even matters, right? Because as soon as the episode ends, you get the play next episode. You know, BS. Yeah. That, like I, I, hate like don't. So they could I'll watch the next. They could have saved money.
1: They could have saved money and only you know paid for ten seconds of it, knowing that everyone's just gonna you know hit <laughs> the skip to next episode button. Mm-hmm.
2: That's why I had to buy the special edition Blu-rays. Because I was going to buy like just... I mean, I was going to buy the special edition anyways. Um, That's
1: why you had to.
2: (laughs) But that's my justification. Because on the special edition Blu-rays, it came with a second set of the show that has the original dub and the Fly Me to the Moon. Which you can't get that original dub anywhere else apart from buying, you know, 25-year-old DVDs. Which I paid way too much money for.
1: You have to... Eat food, drink water, and you know, maintain body temperature. You don't have to have the special dub of the show you like, Aldo. Uh,
2: I back to death, sir. <laughs> it's my right, it's uh pursuit of happiness. that's one of my rights, right? Not just a fantastic will Smith movie
1: that it's really not.
2: I begged that Oh, that movie makes me cry. Maybe, maybe that's why I think it's a good movie because I cry like a like a little child every time.
1: I oh, it was like the last like five seconds. It's like oh okay, good. There's a happy ending, but yeah. up until then, whoa.
2: Is pursuit of happiness just like financial torture porn?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Not a bad way of looking at it. Yeah
0: i
2: love the silence
0: i love i just like <laughs> the, it's you could hear steven I sweat i can't segue away from like torture porn that's not a good jumping off point i mean nope. it is a great jumping off point in the sense that like don't go don't there continue it. Yeah. <laughs> in other news comics this is the
1: superhuman registration podcast we're here to talk about some marvel books it's like watching a segue go down a flight of stairs he's on the segue that's the joke yes
0: (laughs) oh goodness
2: apparently kevin james does his own stunts
0: (laughs) kevin james is a he is a better performer than i think he gets credit for what i don't know I like Kevin James. I think he picks bad movies, but he is charismatic. Mm -hmm. That's my way of saying it. Yeah. That's fair. So I like watching his stuff, even though I think that most of his movies are bad. I actually like King
2: of Queens. King of Queens was pretty fun.
0: The only thing I can ever... Anytime anybody says King of Queens, I think about the the bit where he goes to get pho for the first time. And he, like, tries a sip of it. And he's like, hold the pho-own and that's ah, the joke ah, it's it. very funny um, anyway we read some comics today and i think as we were discussing about like the books that we were going to read we termed these the the disaster baby books <laughs> yes they are about the disastrous children of famous heroes uh where do we want to start we've got the the
2: of, of which both all those new heroes are dead
0: indeed at the time of these stories being written yes um, so we've got the the Star Wars story, which was not actually a Marvel comic. It was published under the Dark Horse banner, but, you know, Disney owns them now. Um, and we've also got the all-new Wolverine with uh, with Laura Kinney. And I cannot say his name without thinking of the, the metal band Dokken. There's a metal band named Dokken? Yeah, it's spelled different. It's D-O-K-K-E-N. Hmm. I mean, you but could they're call, glam metal.
2: You could call him by, like, his not mutant name which is akihiro is his name akihiro yes
0: i thought his name was well, i thought his name was docken yeah same this is news yeah.
1: to me
2: i mean it's like his birth name the same way that like it's like logan or i think his birth oh, name sure was enough yes i'm sure about that why don't also wolverine is a weeb do you think he wouldn't name his son akihiro
1: oh man <laughs> uh i was not ready for hold on I'm sitting down, but I need to sit down some more. I know, I know in my,
0: I
2: know in my heart of hearts that Logan watches Demon
0: Slayer. Yeah, you, uh, I remember reading a, an article that was talking about Wolverine several years ago, and I don't even remember the context, but it just dropped in the line, you know Wolverine has opinions about anime. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, man. he probably
2: yeah. does. He probably watched Gundam. He probably, he's probably one of those people that says, like, anime was better in the 80s.
0: Oh, almost certainly. Like, I doubt he watches Demon Slayer because he thinks the animation's too fancy.
1: <laughs> oh, or he takes, he's like, that's not what, hap- that's not what happens when you kill a monster, or when you, ki- you know, when you kill someone with superpowers, he's picky about it, yeah. you know.
2: He just hate-watches it. <laughs> He's like, come on, nice man. we're going to go see the new Demon Slayer movie. I have to, I, somebody has to be angry with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're already kind of talking about it. Why don't we start with the Wolverine story then?
2: Okay, sure. I'll, I can start that. Uh, so we read a story arc from the All-New Wolverine series, which stars Laura Kinney, or X-23, or I think she had some other name at some point. We read issues 25 through 30 of All-New Wolverine. These were written by Tom Taylor and pencils by Juan Cabal, colors by Nolan Woodward, letters by Corey Pettit. And this takes place after an event earlier in this run. I think it's just called Immune, but it happens on, oh, I forgot the name of the island. Um, but it happens like on some island. Ro- or Roosevelt uh, Roosevelt Island. Yeah, Roosevelt Island, there's a, there's an alien virus and it still gets quarantined off. I don't know the exact events of it, but all I know is that some of the mutants, specifically like the Wolverine mutants, so I'm assuming Laura and probably Dokken and Sabretooth and a bunch of those, come out uh, like the heroes out of that event. Which, a few issues later, triggers the events of this comic, Orphans of X, which starts out with Daken being kidnapped, having his arm cut off. And used to send a message. And Laura goes to rescue him. Finds a clone of her mother. Who is not like genetically her mother. Because she's a clone of Wolverine. And so her after after they meet back up with and After he escapes from being held and tortured. They find this group called the Orphans of X. Which are specifically people who have been affected. And have had... Have and have lost family due to, like, the various murders from all of these Wolverine-type characters. Which, you know, includes Lady Deathstrike, Sabretooth, Old Man Logan, Normal Man, X-Man Logan, <laughs> Laura, Kinney and talking <laughs> And, to a lesser extent, Gabby, who is a clone of maybe Wolverine. I think that's the... I think that's what I read on the history. But she's part of another set of... Like X twenty three type clones. And yeah. She's the youngest. She can't feel pain, which is good for her. And so these Orphans of X used to be like a comfort or a um what is it called? What is Support Group. It? Yeah, thank you. These Orphans of X used to be a support group, which after the events of that immune of Roosevelt Island have kind of radicalized and they're trying to kill all of the wolverines. I'm just going to call them that just for sake of brevity. And they have stolen the the Muramasa blade, which I feel like it should be Muramasa, but whatever, I don't write for Marvel yet. And <laughs> it's a sword that is infused with Logan's soul and can cut things at a molecular level, so it's the only thing that prevents the wolverines Ability to to heal and kind of rebuild and regrow organs and body parts and stuff like that. Laura kind of realizes that this is a support group and that they've been in pain and this is them kind of lashing out, and comes to an understanding that hey, we can't kill them. We if we have to if we're going to stop them, it has to be through understanding and compassion, and kind of offers herself up, and talks to them and explains that. Hey, you know, we can't really take back or even really apologize for the things that we did, which were out of our control. But we were also hurt and damaged by the people, you know, above us or who controlled us. And so kind of promises to find the people responsible for this and to kind of make them pay, not by killing them, but just by making sure that they're all outed and sent to jail and pay for their crimes one thing I didn't mention real fast in this was that the son of one of the people who had, who headed the, the Weapon X project, specifically the, the Weapon X project that created Laura and the other sisters, uh, he's kind of the one who's been radicalizing this group. He's been part of the support group because she was supposed to kill him, but killed his family and left him alive because he was a child and has now... He has grown up with that hate and fear and kind of took the support group and, you know, used it for his own means. So that's kind of where it ends. It's a pretty quick story for how many issues there are, but that's kind of the gist of it. I don't think I missed a whole lot. Oh, yeah, there is an actual Wolverine animal in here called Jonathan, and he is Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Gabby has a pet Wolverine and she gets the the code name honey badger. Yes, yeah, she does.
1: Mhm. I wanted to bring that up because I loved that. It it like on some level it's dumb, but that I found it very charming, so I didn't care. I was like, I know this is like this is silly, but I like it anyway.
0: Yeah. I love that it's Docen who gives her that nickname. Yeah. I kind of hate that it's Docen who gives her that name, but I'm also disinclined to like Docen.
2: Yeah. I My understanding of Daken for a long time, granted, I haven't read a lot of Daken, and the only bit of (laughs) Daken comics that I've really had any exposure to were like the early stuff where he really felt like a Red Hood ripoff, like a Jason Todd, right, by way of Wolverine. So seeing him here, where he still feels like a Jason Todd ripoff, but like specifically of. Modern Jason Todd. Uh, I don't know how I feel about him. I don't hate him as much, but I don't know that I like him.
0: I agree. It's like all of these, you know, evil babies of superheroes, they're all kind of biting Bucky Barnes style. Right? Because Winter Soldier did it first and best. But eventually they kind of find their own place. Like, Red Hood, Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. Um eventually he just kind of becomes, you know, the uh no-nonsense outcast of the Bat family, but it's almost self-styled because nobody will really let him get away and they all give him a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. And it kind of works. Yeah. I think Dawkins kind of gone through a similar transformation and I've missed it. Cause like you I was just like the early stuff, they pushed Dawkins, I think, really hard. <laughs> in a way that, that didn't appeal to me. But reading him here, he was honestly kind of inoffensive. Um Some of it was I think they were willing to dress him up in stupid clothes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the most I knew about Dawkins, um you know, apart from kind of feeling or I don't I don't even, I don't know it feels obvious. It feels like he was very obviously a Jason Todd kind of ripoff. <laughs> I don't know that he actually was, but he feels like it. But the only thing right. I really knew about him was, apart from, like, the different class, you know, pattern that he has, was that he was bisexual and that he could secrete, like, a pheromone to cause, like, to charm people, which are very, yeah. which are very, like, early 2000s ideas, which means, today. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, I, don't, I didn't see any of that here today, apart from him trying to lay on the charm on his not-genetically cousin.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, that's, that's part of the problem, I think, with Daken, Uh, Star Fox has this as well. It's just like, your, your power is to roofie people. And you're supposed to be a hero. Ugh, yeah. nope.
2: I have the power to negate consent
0: oh Ugh, no, no. <laughs> but again despite the creepy vibes that the power set and the character description kind of give out the most recent stories that i've read of Daken, this book and then he pops up in uh x factor in the krakoa era of x-men
1: mm-hmm.
0: he's not bad they're not the they're, they're not necessarily the best stories but they're also like not bad um i have to jump in very quickly though and say about this story it's actually pretty good. I, I, I kind of gave the impression there. I think it's like, oh, it's not a bad story. No, Dawkins' part of it is not bad. Overall, I think this story is pretty good.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it, it flows really smoothly, I thought. And I don't know. I think that the part I liked in particular was the fact that it ends with like an act of compassion and like understanding. and mm-hmm. yeah. Which is kind of not what you expect from a, from a Wolverine book in general but it's it's nice to see that everybody like all the wolverines were kind of on board with it
1: except for Sabretooth. Yeah, sabertooth and lady the strike. deathstrike they they were asked to leave well, understandably. She,
2: <laughs> well, she was asked to be just lady strike this time <laughs> by Gabby. She was like no I like thing.
1: that. Yeah. Cuz yeah. <laughs> Logan deep down is a good guy, but you expect him being like, huh? A whole bunch of mutant hating people, huh? Well, somebody's got to die, and it's not gonna be me. But then mm-hmm. Laura like takes a beat and does the smart move, and does the good long term move, rather than which is which is odd because she spent so long just as like the feral wild child, you know. Um, yeah. But she she like gets past all that. Gives up the. Um, special protection that came along with the you know special sword. You know the um, shield suit that she got, and you know confronts these people.
2: Yeah, I forgot to mention that they went to Japan, and they met the master swordsmith who made the Murumasa blade, and he had like a shield, and in order to make a suit of armor to protect at least one of them, it had to use the souls of all of um all of the wolverines that were with them at the time which i think was just Laura Doc, and, and Gabby and i think one of the cousins i think was also there i'm not sure but but yeah
1: it was pretty dope
2: mhm yeah and i think there's something interesting about like legacy about wolverine cuz wolverine can be such a interesting character especially when you consider like i think some of the better wolverine stories have been the ones that deal with like that inner turmoil of like Wanting to be a good guy, but having to be the murderer to help other people not have to take that step, and just kind of dealing with it all and kind of what that means, right? Like it ostracizes him, it makes him not feel like a hero, it kind of reinforces a lot of beliefs that he has about himself. And so, carrying that legacy into his character, into like his legacy characters, you know, his clone daughter and maybe biological son, I don't know how. Dokken came about but um well you
0: see when a mama wolverine and a papa wolverine love each other very much
2: (laughs) oh my gosh but having (laughs) having those characters specifically like wrestle with like that legacy and like what it means to to them to automatically be labeled a what you know a murderer and stuff like that from their upbringings and taking a different route than wolverine i think is such an interesting approach to writing these characters
0: Lara Kinney's biggest problem as a character is that she came out at a time that a lot of other female characters in comics were kind of doing the same thing. Like, she's a lighter and softer superhero, in the sense that she looks for nonviolent solutions, she quips, she banters, she, you know... Has a, strikes a very similar tone to characters like uh, the Unstoppable Wasp, uh, Ms. Marvel. Um, again, the, a lot of characters of very similar sort of dispositions uh, were very popular around this time. That is not a bad problem to have, though. Because I think her being connected to Wolverine brings up all of these really interesting stories, like you talked about, Aldo. Um, and... It is satisfying. Like, when she pulls on the Orphans of X mask at the end of this story, that was satisfying. That was, I was not expecting the story to, like, resonate with me as well as it did. I Like, I knew she was going to go in and, like, try to find the peaceful solution. She took off her armor in front of everybody and was like, you can shoot me if you want uh, with your Muramasa-laced bullets. Such a, that's such a comic book idea. It's very good. But then to have her actually join the orphans, it's, it's something that I think a lot of superhero stories, especially like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has tried to do. And they just don't do it very well, where they acknowledge that the villain has a point, but they don't really do anything about it. Biggest perpetrator I can think of here would be like Black Panther, where Killmonger is honestly pretty right about everything that he's upset about. And the story just kind of offs him, and they have Black Panther kind of lean into the same sort of, like, outright, outreach, uh, neoliberal, uh, capitalist stuff. And it's it's fine. Um, I love Black Panther. That ending leaves something to be desired. But um, Laura Kinney here goes a little bit further. It's like, no, you folks have been wronged. We need to Fix that wrong. And she does. She just leans into it. Yeah. Uh, it's great. It's yeah, she great.
2: Do, she doesn't just turn over to the
0: senator and be, do better. Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bla- y-
0: you're right. That one's worse than Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier is way worse. hmm Yeah. And I so think, frustrating because yeah. those performers deserve better. Anyway.
2: <laughs> and, and something you said about... I don't, I don't know if it was on a podcast episode or just in conversation, but something you said about... Captain America, and Falcon kind of, you know, resolving stuff by piece, is it has more impact when Steve Rogers does it, because he has the ability to, you know, beat the living snot out of, you know, most normal people. Or actually all normal people. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, for me, part of why it impacts here is because, you know, Laura Kinney literally created to be a killing machine. Her weapon set is, you know, knives, that come out of her hands and feet she's built to kill and you know the restraint to not and to kind of push towards you know a peaceful resolution i think helps with that impact
0: i would agree um i don't know as much about her background as i do um you know other characters like i got on board the laura Kinney train at the start of this series So, all of the stuff that came before, I know she was in X-Force. I know that she teamed up with Gambit at some point. That might have actually been part of this series. Um, She had her own series for a while. I think Nyx was what it was called. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, none of that stuff. I don't really know anything about it. Um, This story, and this run in general, Tom Taylor's run, makes me want to learn more. She seems like a good character.
2: Yeah, I got a little bit... Of Laura Kinney when I was reading, uh, I forgot the name of the run, but specifically it's the X-Men run after the, it might have been all new X-Men, when the 1960s X-Men teens are brought into oh, yeah, the Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then they splinter she off. She dates Angel. Yeah, they splinter off and then she goes with one of the groups. And she's part of like that X-Men group for a bit
1: there was also a title new mutants where it's the um like early 2000s i want to say where it's surge and prodigy and Rockslide and anole like those kind of characters that are you know like some of the first like you know big batch of like you know new students coming in for the x-men and she's kind of with them like she's kind of a contemporary of them cuz i think she was introduced right before them and they are like some of the only ones left after like all the mutants are depowered there um, after um, house of m but that's that's been my only history with her yeah. so
2: Laura's one of those characters that like runs under my radar like quite often but it's only because like the wolverine stuff of x-men is kind of like the Spider-Man stuff with like Avengers and and the rest of the the heroes where it's like just separate enough but like Wolverine is so tied to the X-Men that it's like you have to tread water in X-Men comics and that is that's that can be such a endeavor at times. Yeah. Like X-Men really does feel like its own like publishing branch of Marvel. At points,
0: it is. Yeah, it is. Especially like again, Krakoa era. It's Mm -hmm. just doing its own thing. Yeah, Um, the Age of X
2: stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, the Age of X stuff. Uh, that stuff is is a lot. Yeah, it's a lot.
2: So that's part of why I don't read that much Wolverine, but I I would love to, and I am kind of tempted to read this run of all new Wolverine featuring Laura Kinney and sometimes talking <laughs> But uh, but also if I get to read more of that little uh of Gabby, like she was a delight. I liked her.
1: <laughs> yeah. That yeah. that hit home for me. And her her like little kid hoodie, but it was still the blue and gold of Wolverine and then we get a splash page of her like honey badger but on all the classic Wolverine covers. I love that little detail, you know. It's like Oh, that was great, adding her yeah. Adding her to the legacy.
2: That was pretty fun. yeah. I like specifically the bit after they get their souls kind of ripped out a little bit for the shield, which is the first time she's experienced pain. And she's like, you guys feel this all the time? Gosh, it sucks to be you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A little sociopathic, but adorable.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a good thing she's got the good Wolverine supervising her, right?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, what did you guys think it
1: about is the art? Good. I um Solid. the colors stood out to me. Yeah, it was all like well done. That there was some interesting paneling, but um, like it. Looking back on like all the different stuff that they do, um, it. I don't know. I noticed at first when there's a really nice sunset when um, mm-hmm. Angel is giving Laura Kinney a ride on his helicopter. And it was just I was like, oh, I'm like who did the colors on this? This is really good, and um, then there are some cool things they do with flashbacks, where it's mm-hmm. you know reds and pinks monochromatic. So it's like you know ah yes, remember when you know Laura, Kin- Laura was like a feral killer, and so all of her flashbacks are just blood, lots of blood, and so yeah, we get some cool pages there. But I I liked that.
2: Cool. Uh, yeah, to me it reminded me a lot of. Um... Giuseppe Kamunkali, who did some uh, Spider-Man stuff which I think we read him not that long ago on Superior I think that might have been him
0: name's ringing a bell
2: yeah but it kind of felt like that I mean granted it is a 2017 book but I was gonna say it felt very much like a 2010s house style for Marvel like they have this I like this art style and I like that at this time in Marvel, like, this was kind of the standard, like, house style, where it's kind of, like, just animated enough, but also realistic enough that, like, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily impress, but it does not disappoint. And I feel like the way this art is done, there's a certain skill floor required of the artists. And, I, I don't know, I love, I love this type of art i think it's it's great stuff for me
1: yeah
0: i do too i think it's a little bit of a mismatch for a wolverine book especially one that tends to be as violent as this story was Um, because it the the bright cheery colors evoke more of a like some of those other books i mentioned unstoppable wasp uh ms marvel like it's more that sort of vibe that said, I think there is a technicality to the figures, the rendering, the expressions, the builds of the characters. Laura Kinney is just a little bit broader-shouldered than your typical Marvel superheroine. Uh, just a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than, than women sometimes in comics tend to be rendered. Um, it's really cool. It evokes a little bit of Frank Quitely, who did like All-Star Superman... Uh, Riot at Xavier's, which we read for the podcast, um, not quite as uh, adventurous in the layouts as quietly tends to be, mm-hmm. but no, uh, Juan Cabal. This is it's it's pretty solid. Yeah, despite my concern about it being maybe a little bit of a mismatch, it it still works. And when mm-hmm. the time comes to depict the mm-hmm. violence, he does it in a very like it's a PG thirteen way, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah, Uh, I don't necessarily want to see Doc and get his arm cut off with his junk hanging out, Mm -hmm. but it it winds up being appropriate in those moments. But it makes the other moments where the violence isn't happening, and frankly, some of Gabby's quips and things like that, the book feels a little bit tonally inconsistent. A little bit, not in a bad way, not in a bad way, not in like a the story is bad. Just like oh, it's it's
1: it's a weird feeling.
0: I think it's a work in progress. More interesting
1: though yeah I think you know this maybe this was the, something they were working on and kind of seeing where the story takes them because I think yes, it's a mismatch if if you're if it's just Wolverine, but this is not Logan Wolverine, you know this is x twenty three and so maybe in that regard, like that that's I don't know like I liked the art, but yeah i w- I would agree that it's a mismatch for a Logan Wolverine, but I think it still works. Uh, for Laura Kinney, because they are doing something different and she's trying something, you know, that other Wolverines maybe wouldn't.
2: I think if the story wasn't as jokey as it can be, it would be more of a mismatch. Um, I, I think specifically to a lot of moments with Gabby, with Honey Badger. Mm-hmm. Like specifically, I, one of the other moments that I like quite a bit is after they fight all of those red ninjas that turn into dust. And they're and... injured and, and Gabby's been shot, I think, or she was hurt. Uh no no I think they're just checking to make sure that she wasn't injured, and she's like gross gross and they're like what are you hurt and she's like no I got ninja dust in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good.
1: That was a good bit. Yeah.
2: yeah. So so I think it's because of moments like that that at least to me it didn't really feel tonally like not the art didn't feel mismatched. It it is a little bit of a tonal roller coaster, in the sense that you go from like these really heightened moments to like, now we're kind of goofing off with the kid. But not, like, unwelcome. Like, I think I just wasn't expecting that. But also, yeah. kind of talking about the art, one of the things I did appreciate, and I I don't want to bring this up every time we read a book about female superheroes, but, like, I feel like I have to, is that Laura's not sexualized in this book. And if anybody's, no. s- yep. you know, any sort of sexualized, it's Dokken, who appears naked at least a quarter of the time he's in this book. And... I I think with the exception of one shot when, like, Laura is running to, like, go help out her family when the ninjas are attacking. And, like, she takes off her robe. And, like, you see her in the distance in, like, her underwear. Apart from that, like, that don't And that's not even sexualized. She's, she's tiny in the panel. So, like, I don't know. Kudos. I'm happy we're getting away from that. I'm happy that that's kind of becoming more of a consistent thing in modern comics. Balancing nice.
1: the scales. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I also I also really, talking about paneling, kind of going back to that a little bit, I really like that page with Dokken. I think it's in the second book, so like issue 26, where it's him on that table where they've been torturing him. Yeah. And it has like that, uh, kind of like that Watchmen style grid yeah. paneling. And they use one of those panels to like cover up his junk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I also liked the meditation with Dawkin, and it was split, kind of showing, you know, different levels of his of his like physical and you know, spiritual yeah. side. You know, and so I don't know if it was supposed to be referencing like chakras or if it was just like here are all the different parts that make up Dawkins, You know, like it I think was a interesting. Of both. Yeah. Yeah. I, also, I, really I, I good use of that
2: also really good use of colors on that. Like I think it was on the left side. Oh yeah. You can see a lot of his yeah. memories and it's just like really good stuff. You know, like, like I said, I, th- I think the art in here doesn't knock it out of the park all the time. Like it's not trying to impress, but I think when, when you get some of those moments that he, the artist Juan Cabal gets to be a little bit more creative, I think he has a knack for it. I think he can do more. Like that. Med- yeah. Like that meditation scene. I think the honey badger, spread scene was like also really good um those are the two that stand
0: out to me but yeah and uh i don't have anything else i got no more notes
1: i think yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think we've covered everything that i had to say um really liked it surprised honestly quite surprised with it especially since our our intro into it was let's get a Dawkins story and we were like all right (laughs) (laughs) you know
0: yeah pleasantly surprised all around even the stuff that i didn't think Mm -hmm. i was gonna like wound up working overall yeah yeah Mm -hmm. all right speaking of surprises let's talk about luke skywalker's disaster baby (laughs) (laughs) so boy this was a this was a surprise um star wars legacy was a 2006 series originally published uh, by dark horse the uh high concept here is that this takes place, I want to say like 100, 150 years in the future after the the destruction of the second Death Star. Give or take, The yeah. world has, the, the galaxy has changed quite a bit. Uh, the New Republic has risen and fallen and the Empire is resurgent again. But at like the, the moment when the Empire is, is about to assume total control... They are betrayed by their allies, the Sith. And this is a new order of of Sith Dark Jedi. Uh, They don't follow the uh, code of only one master and only one apprentice. There's like a small army of Sith led by uh, some ridiculously over-designed character. Very reminiscent of uh, Justice League's Steppenwolf. Uh what's the character's name? That's what I
1: was pulling up. Uh Darth. Darth Crate. Darth <laughs> Crate. <laughs> crate being the like a name of a dragon, right? Right. The crate
0: dragons yeah. are, I think, uh on monsters Tatooine. on Tatooine. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, so really different sort of political situation where there is a usurper to the Imperial throne who is a dark Jedi. And then the true Emperor, who may or may not actually be a, a villainous character, we don't actually know that much about him at this point, uh, struggling to, to regain the throne. In the middle of all of this, you know, Darth Krayt has ordered the the execution of all of the Jedi as, you know, one does. Or I guess it, actually the Emperor had done that uh, prior to uh, getting betrayed by Darth Krayt. In uh, this emperor's name, uh, Emperor Fell, like Rowan Fell or something like that. Anyway, so the Jedi have been hunted and scattered, uh, which is the status quo that we're pretty used to. The part of this that is really interesting is we see some of the last Jedi kind of making a stand, and one of the last survivors is a young Cade Skywalker. His final moments of like trying to defend his master and uh, repel the, the Sith attackers are very traumatizing. He watches uh, his master nearly die and then uses some dark side force powers to pull him back from death. And then his ship gets blown up and he gets stranded in space. So it's this very traumatic moment where he feels like the force has failed him. He winds up becoming a, a mercenary, a rogue bounty hunter type. Uh, palling around with uh, another crew of spacefaring folk, they are through a you know series of events hired to assist fleeing Princess Marassia, who is the daughter of uh, Emperor Fel, who's on the run from the Dark Jedi. Cade Skywalker, Marassia, and, and a couple of other Jedi wind up getting stranded on this planet where they are confronted by the Dark Jedi. Uh, specifically, Darth Talon, who is a Twi'lek Dark Jedi, featured very, very prominently on the cover of the first issue in, you know, a brazier and loincloth, despite the fact that she's not even in the issue. Just gonna get that criticism out there. Uh, they fight uh, Cade... Ultimately decides to uh, aid the princess, and you know they all kind of get away. And yeah, interesting, interesting story. The thing that I found most interesting about it, actually, though, was the creative team. Uh, a lot of folks that I'm unfortunately not super familiar with. Uh, the pencils were by uh, Jan Dursima or Jan Dursima, inks by Dan Parsons, colors by Brad Anderson, and letters by Michael David Thomas. Uh, the covers were by Adam Hughes. And you can tell, they're very well-rendered covers. The writer, so the story, was, uh, the story is credited to uh, both the penciler and the, the scripter. The writer is John Ostrander. Ostrander is, I think, most well-known for uh, writing the Suicide Squad comics. And in particular for, uh, the thing that I best know him for is, he's the guy who made the decision to put Barbara Gordon in the wheelchair and have her become Oracle. he's a good writer so i was i was interested to see what a star wars book written by this guy would look like and overall gotta say not disappointed it's an interesting universe the empire has missionaries that kind of spread the good word of of colonialism i guess i don't know what that's all about (laughs) um the uh the the Sith are weirdly like complicated. Darth Krayt is constantly seeking the approval of earlier generations of the Sith, and the Sith kind of don't want anything to do with him because he's betraying all of their traditions.
1: Um, yeah. What did y'all think? I I liked it, and I I wasn't sure when I was like, oh, is it he's uh cave like the the end for this was let's read about Luke Skywalker's like descendant who's into death sticks, you know, who's a drug addict <laughs> and uh, pleasantly surprised.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like the way the universe is set up where you have like the empire which I'm used to being like the bad guys, but they're kind of maybe not the bad guys now. And the Sith and then you have like the Imperial Knights which are kind of like Jedi and stuff like that. So like there's a lot of interesting stuff in here that I I kind of liked more than I thought
1: I would. That's that's what was most interesting to me. All the art was very clean. Um colors were a little mm-hmm. like dark and muted I think, you know. I don't I don't know if it was like a like how it was scanned, you know, these these issues or what, but um you know, I enjoyed the story. I liked that it was unclear, you know, is there like one good good person? Cause you know, Kate Skywalker's not really that good. You know, he yeah. he's got a lot of problems. He's turned his back on his destiny. Luke tells him because Luke's still around, being a Force well, ghost his, and bugging yeah, him. Yeah,
2: his Force ghost.
1: Yeah, and so he's like, your your destiny's gonna find you whether you want to or not. Cause we do have you know one page where he says, "I'll never touch a lightsaber again," and then several panels l- later, he's he's got to. So <laughs> um, I I it's yeah the the Force using or. At least lightsaber wielding imperial guards who are imperial knights who are, you know, working for the guy who uh, killed all the Jedi or ordered their deaths. You know, but he's not as bad. I don't know. Is is it coming from a fact that like there are worse than him out there? Like the Sith are worse than he is, and so it's a handful of Jedi's and some lovable rogues versus, you know, everyone else who is a bad guy, but. The emperor's daughter doesn't seem to be bad, you know. She mm-hmm. seems to be genuine and trying to, you know, help the galaxy. That kind of thing. So yeah. I liked that there was it wasn't it was these these shades of gray. You know, it wasn't wasn't just one way or the other, black and white. You know, good and evil.
0: I mean, you say there are shades of gray, but these Sith guys, you know, have skulls. Okay, well, they're like,
1: they're the obvious like villains, but even the, the people who they're fighting are not, you know, the good guys because they still killed the Jedi who are supposed to be the good guys. But, you know, Cade's a Jedi and he's, he's, you know, okay with shooting them in the back and collecting bounties on them. He won't kill them though. So that's something, I guess. Yeah. I did think Cade's
2: story was a lot more interesting than i thought it was going to be like the yeah I, yeah like the idea of somebody who was a jedi who kind of experienced great loss and through that great loss tapped really heavily into the dark side right because the whole the whole thing about being able to bring people back from, from the dead is like a very strong very like deep dark side power type thing And it's not just that, like, he tapped into it. It's that he's afraid of it. Like, what he felt made him close off from, like, both sides of the Force. And kind of wrestling with that and continuing to wrestle with, like, the idea of his destiny and being a Skywalker descendant. Like, that conversation that he has with Luke. Not, I wish it had been a little bit longer, but what we got, I think, I think, I think was still good. Especially that part where he's telling him, he's like, hey, bud, you got to lay off the death sticks. You know, they cut off, they cut you off from the force. He's like, good, I don't have to listen to you. And it's like, oh, yeah, like he doesn't want anything to do with the force. And it's really once he finds a greatest, uh, it's really once he finds a greater purpose that he kind of allows himself to start connecting with the force. But it's not like as simple as just turning the switch on, right? Like he talks to his old master and he talks about, he's like, I don't know that I really want to do this. I had to tap into the dark side again to bring somebody back from the light, from to bring somebody back from the dead. And, you know, everybody keeps telling me that they can help me learn to do this and not tap into the dark side, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I just, the idea that he's not even sure if he really wants to connect to any part of the force at all is, is interesting.
1: He still yeah. acknowledges that's the dark side. It's bad. The light mm-hmm. side, they got themselves killed. Like, why should I, you know, be with them? Cause they, you know, I, my father didn't want me to like stand and fight. He wanted me to run away when I could have, you know, fought. I wanted to fight, but he still, he still is like, that's the dark side. I don't want that because yeah. I liked it, you know? Him bringing someone back from the it, it it's basically like an EMT like clear in the back of an ambulance like that's a Darth pow is that did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth defibrillator the wise <laughs> I thought not it's not a story the Jedi would tell you <laughs> you know it's like really one little zap is like I guess when you have you know. Robot, uh, like you have back to tanks that can heal anything except a broken heart, right? Am I right? Like <laughs> that's beyond us. Oh, yeah. we can't fill our back to tanks full of antidepressants and dunk Padme in. No, no, no. Let's have two orphan twins anyway.
2: Yeah, one thing I will say that I like about Star Wars, in comics or really in any kind of format, that's that's visual specifically. Let me let me put that out there. It's the fact that it's so easy to tell who's what. <laughs> and, yeah. like, everybody has, like, a distinct art style or, you know, art design. You know, the Sith covered in red, tattoos. They look dead. They look like zombies. Whatever, right? Rogues always look like they came out of a Blade Runner comic book. Um, I just want to say I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And I love that, like, there's almost no crossover on anything, not even with Cade. Like, it's fantastic.
1: This yeah, um, I like ever like the look that everybody has. Everyone has like mm-hmm. you know particularly like, you know that is a Sith. That is an Imperial. That is a Jedi. That is that is a swashbuck. That's a scoundrel. You know um, yeah. that is spirit Halloween's sexy Darth Maul. Costume. Yes, seriously, <laughs> it's like,
2: no joke. This book must have come out shortly after Episode One, right? Because there's like at least four Darth Maul looking people in
1: here. It came out after 2006. episode three. Yeah. Two thousand six. Yeah. So right after episode three in two thousand. Yeah, that makes sense. So. <laughs> yeah. They uh yeah, they were like, mm, what do we we need Darth Boobs. How can we get Darth yeah. Boobs in here?
2: I did think it was a little funny that like even though her costume was very like sexualized, you know, she's just in a bikini really A lot of the shots and the framings for her are not but the Blue, who's one of the two bounty hunters with Cade, every shot she's in, it's like you got you gotta see how sexy she is. Look at these weird poses. Oh yeah. Look at the camera yeah. angles. She's hot.
0: You know it. She's pink, but she's yeah. hot. <laughs> it's funny because it's like <laughs> Star Wars is Star Wars is sexy, right? Yeah. Like not not, There's not no like over the space. top, but freaking freaking slave <laughs> Leia.
1: Yeah. Like.
0: Star Wars is sexy, but I'm not used to seeing Star Wars as sexy. So Delia Blue threw me the heck out of this book. Multiple, every time she pops up, I'm like, what? This isn't Star Wars. I mean, it is Star Wars, but I'm not used to Yeah, that. That's not what I expect to see. And and Darth Talon did to a little bit, little extent as well. Although I did note as well as you, although like she's not, the, the Hawkeye project wouldn't do much with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I but th- I think part of the reason why I enjoyed it with the Blue is like that was her character. Like her character was obviously like I'm the sexy part of the group, and like I use my looks to get us access to things and stuff like that. Granted, you know, written by a man, so
1: you know, take that as you yeah.
0: Know. But I easily, was- I would say the weakest part of the
1: story. And but like Kate is not like giving her anything. She's like constantly like ha 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 ha, and he's like, yep, let's go. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. you're not you're not taking the bait.
2: But what I'm saying is like there is something fun in seeing a character who themselves like recognize themselves as like a sexy person, and seeing them have fun with it as opposed to like a character who is not there to be sexy, and the camera and the poses you know indicating otherwise. Which is why I think I kind of enjoyed that aspect of Delia. because she was fun. She was like a fun character. She was smarty, she you know, she kind of kept telling Kate off every once in a while. I thought like so I don't know, I, I enjoyed the character. Um, I think his other friend Sin was interesting as well. Like I think his struggle with you know kind of reconciling with the idea or the knowledge that Kate is also a Jedi is interesting, and I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of that in this particular arc but i'm sure that comes up again later.
0: Yeah. I I I have I disagree a little bit with with your take on on Delia Blue just cuz i didn't find the character that interesting. I I feel like i've seen this character before. Um and i think the biggest honestly the biggest problem with the the sort of sexy femme fatale uses her body to to get access to things and her looks to it's something that we've seen before. And this character isn't really doing anything that I find all that compelling. She's really interested in the uh, aloof, mildly abusive uh, white male character. Uh, just she strikes me as more of a like a fantasy wish fulfillment. Uh, yeah, I
2: mean, you're not wrong than that. Than
0: a than a, than a character. Like, she doesn't strike me as a character in her own right, really. Right. And it's it's early. This is the first story arc, and there are about 5,000 characters to, to try to give screen time to.
2: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like, Star Wars is a series that runs on tropes.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, mm. like,
2: that doesn't surprise me. And it's, and like, not saying that you're wrong or that your take is bad. Like, it's not. Like, I agree with, with a lot of what you said. But to have two characters... All your char-
0: takes are trash. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but to have two characters that are obviously both designed very, like, sexily, but, like, focus on the one who, like, accepts it as, like, her role, again, written by a man, is... I, I don't know. I thought her character, for the little bit that we got, was fun.
0: Um, you're right about yeah, the Yeah, I do think that's stuff. interesting. Yeah. I think you're right that, like the camera is treating the characters the way that they would, I guess, prefer to be treated, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you get the sense that Talon dresses the way that she does for acrobatics, for for maneuverability. It's not necessarily about titillation. Mm -hmm. And so even though that's how she's dressed, she's not framed that way, whereas Delia Blue is all about that titillation and therefore that's the way the camera approaches her. And I think that's a good use of your camera.
2: Mm Mm-hmm
0: still still have issues with that particular character she, she's the least Star Warsy thing about this weirdly like that, that's the piece that I'm picking up on is this weird sex pot character feels so out of place in Star Wars
1: that's like yeah it's the wish fifth moment stuff you're talking about like all the Twi'leks being thrown in particularly Darth Talon you know mm-hmm. that's, that's what feels like alright we're gonna do a Star Wars story and get some of them Twi'leks up in the mix you know
2: yeah, get them on the cover now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's <laughs> not even in this book, so we'll put Luke Skywalker on the
0: cover of issue number seven. He's not going to be in that one either. It's fine. <laughs> he was four issues ago.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like the only cover in here that's accurate is probably the the one issue that like wasn't a required reading, which was like the Stormtrooper issue.
1: Yeah, right, I skimmed yeah. that, and it was I all right that story,
0: but. Yeah. I liked it. No, yeah, <laughs> I, I thought
2: it was kind of interesting. A little weird. I don't understand why that's there, but publishing issues, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, my other least favorite aspect of this book. Uh, overall, a story I liked, but yeah. um, the other thing that I struggled with, too many characters. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah.
2: Again, this is why Star Wars tends to lean on tropes and much more when you have a cast right. this big.
0: But, like, I I genuinely forgot who the Imperial Knights were when they showed up again in in the later part of the issues to fight Darth Talon. I was like, who are these folks? Oh, oh, the one is in love with the princess? Okay. Who are you? I don't think I know anything about you.
1: Yeah. It's rogue Uh, Leia. She's part Leia, part rogue from X-Men because she's got a, you know, a little (laughs) white thing in her hair. Otherwise, it's... She's got the white thing in her hair, yeah. It's Leia again, you know? so
2: yeah i think it's funny that you can i mean i think you can do this with most characters in marvel and star wars books but i think in this story in particular you can condense every one of these characters down to like about three or four words which is not bad right but i mean Um, i think it's just one of those things at least at this point with the exception of cade not a lot of complexity yet maybe we'll get that fleshed out as like the cast thins out and maybe we have smaller groups but this book really does feel like like it feels like part of this specific arc was like we have to set everybody up now we'll flesh them out later but everybody has to appear for at least five panels
1: yeah Mm -hmm. which i mean it's visual storytelling you have to be able to you know give give those three or four word summaries of your characters so that you can recognize them still too many like even with the assignment it's like okay well there's there's the knights but there's the sith but there's the you know scoundrels there's you know and there are these twi'leks and then like i got i got confused with um you know his surviving a kid surviving jedi master you know there for a bit but lightsaber color helps in those kind of situations i would be happy to keep reading but, you know, would want to like have a little cheat sheet nearby of like, okay, who's who? And yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Much, I don't know, much better than I thought it was going to be. Also, a little funny. Uh, we have Darth Talon in here. And I also looked it up uh, that Laura Kinney's current name or current code name it's is Talon. Talon. Yeah. It's a uh. double Talon feature.
1: <laughs> Whoa. It's not
0: just Disaster Babies. Not just Disaster Babies. <laughs> this, this. Today's reading is disappointing, only in that I came into it expecting actual disaster babies and what I got was actually like pretty good comics.
2: Yeah. <sighs> and and two people who lost their arms.
1: Yeah. Oh, hey. Now that feels like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dismemberment. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no no right. no weird cousin stuff though. That I mean, I'm happy oh, to goodness. do without. But <laughs> yeah, that feels very Star Wars stuff.
1: <laughs> oh boy.
0: <laughs> um anyway, should we rank?
1: Yeah, I'm interested cuz these are both decent stories. They are. Which it's a, it's a tough sell for the list. We need, you, you know, it's it's better when it's this was terrible, this was great, you know.
0: Yeah. Um speaking of the list, currently we have 256 stories on the list. Uh number 1 No Normal by uh, G. Willow Wilson and Andrea Nafona. The the introduction of Ms. Marvel. uh, Number 256. uh, Kevin Smith and Terry Dodson on The Evil That Men Do. Yeesh. Really disappointing book. So I don't think either of these stories are, like, all-time greats. But Orphans of X, I feel like is up there. Like, I don't think it cracks, like, the top... Thirty, but I just happened to see what number 52 is that uh, Nick Fury book that was like so wildly illustrated very like super spy James Bond stuff it's at least as good as that I think like I think it goes pretty high but I don't know if it goes much higher than, I don't know how much higher than that it goes or if it goes much higher
2: I have a hard time putting this like a I was going to say above Beta Ray Bill, but then I saw In Pursuit of Flight, and I think I would rather read this instead of Pursuit of Flight. This is like a rough area.
0: It is a rough yeah. area, because like, all of these stories are pretty good.
2: Mm-hmm. I think I would have to... Uh, I, I don't know if I'm speaking for John here, but I think I would prefer to put this above Kamala Khan gets a boyfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah... <laughs> I love how so many of our rankings are just like vendettas against other people for stories that they
1: don't like or they do like. It's very funny. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Mary Jane loves Spider-Man pops into my head and now I'm f- full of furious rage. <laughs> I think both of these today, uh, I would keep reading. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly Agreed. Particularly Wolverine, because I feel like there's... You know, less conflict with the future of that because there's, you know, the Star Wars, like there's a film version. I guess this is set far enough in the future that it's not negating anything that the films have done, even with the sequels. Um, but I feel like, you know, Wolverine, I want to read again and I would continue reading the series, even though this this particular run is, is done. Um, oh, it's a John, I, area. Think,
2: I think the Skywalker line ended with Kylo and the sequels, just throwing that out there. <laughs>
1: I hope so. Cause there's there's a galaxy full of stories and we do not need to tie it back to one family for any like it, even ugh. anyway, we're I just we don't have I'm just time. Hey Star I'm, Wars Star just, Wars
0: is all about keeping it in the family. <laughs> that's gross. previously discussed. I mean I'm
2: just gross. saying I'm just saying with when uh, when Kylo died, I just saw Cade like disappear
1: just dusted. <laughs> yeah. Like Marty McFly, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just him disappearing off the cover of the page of the book.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I would, I would put this, I would put this above in pursuit of flight. I like that Taskmaster story. Like it, it's a, it's a tighter story, so I think that's a good ceiling.
2: I don't remember much of what happened in that Taskmaster.
1: We find out he's a deep cover shield agent, and his handler, oh, right. is his wife, yeah. Yeah, so he's a villain cool. but he can't remember that he's a good guy because if he did, he'd be in trouble and yeah.
0: Yeah. I I actually would maybe even go a little bit higher than Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Um but like right above it, we got Forget Me Not, the that Black Bolt comic where he's in jail, the the Doctor Strange, the Oath. Yeah, like the competition there is really stiff. I could and put this above so, Forget
2: Me Not. Hard time, I have a hard time putting above.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the is Maybe. a really good writer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm okay going above Forget Me Not because I was I was focusing on Taskmaster and remembering like, oh, that was a cool book. Um, I am easily swayed by cool powers and I think Taskmaster has cool powers. That's my problem. Um, and so I'm like, oh, interesting. That's, that's cool. I like that. And so, um, but yeah, Forget Me Not. I, I I It's interesting, but it doesn't. It's not as impactful. I think as you
0: mm-hmm. know,
1: Laura Kinney kind of doing her own thing as Wolverine against the usual Wolverine modus operandi. What mo, Emma? The usual thing they do.
2: <laughs> modus operandi. Yeah,
1: yeah, I wasn't oh, sure. Oh wait, now I understand the confusion. <laughs> See, yeah, operandi, oh, I operandi. This. I I I suck.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. anyway, so, so. a <laughs> forty-one.
0: Yeah, that's. sounds good I think good 41. Doing... Between Black Bolt, Hard Time, and Forget-Me-Not. These yeah. are all good books. You should read these books if you haven't read them. Mm-hmm. Um...
2: I'll get right on that. <laughs> oh,
1: hopefully
0: you've read them. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Star Wars Legacy. Uh, the first collection, the first story is called Broken. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's as good as Orphans of X. So I would
1: go down. Is the Star Wars but original script adaptation the highest Star Wars book? I'm I'm not seeing. That doesn't that doesn't feel right, but I think that is actually correct, which is weird cuz I think we I liked some of the other Star Wars stuff we've done better, but somehow this this ended up at the top.
0: Yeah. And I would I will go ahead and say I think this is better than the the Star Wars original script adaptation. I would agree. But I wouldn't go any higher than that because yeah. I would read, read the J. Jonah Jameson life story. That was a really so good one. So I would one. put. Oh, see? Yeah, and I, I would put this right at 48.
2: See, and I would put this above that life story, but Karnak for me is a hard ceiling on that one.
1: Yeah, definitely not above Karnak, but I I like J. Jonah Jameson more too.
2: That's fair. That's fair. It is Chip Zarsky and Mark Bagley.
1: Yeah, again,
0: this is a really solid section of the list yeah Well oh, man do you remember when what if magic became sorcerer supreme was like the ceiling for so many books and now it's number 51
1: yeah
0: <laughs> or it will be number 51 after we put this at number 48 um cause I think that's where we're landing
1: on this I think John and I outvoted Aldo yeah I, I put that. it there <laughs> it doesn't feel the yeah, same beating a- Aldo like it does beating Stephen <laughs> Steven's very good at making arguments. It's I know. Steven's also more emotionally invested in his opinions.
0: Maybe <laughs> I care very
1: deeply about stuff that does not all those, matter. Aldo's more amenable. It's like, uh, okay. And Steven's like, oh, fine. <laughs> I mean to to be fair,
2: I wasn't arguing for like that big of a difference. I was arguing like one number difference. Every little
1: right, vi- hey yeah. man, every little be- victory. <laughs>
0: I think at this section of the list, like a difference of one or two spots isn't that big a deal. Whereas at the very top or the very bottom of the list, it's very easy to get invested. Like yeah. I really want this story to be at the very tippy top. But in order to get it there, I have to argue past John's favorite comic and Aldo's favorite comic <laughs> where at the bottom it's like, this comic hurt my soul. It offended me. It offended me <laughs> on a level that makes it worse than Eminem versus
1: Punisher. <laughs> For real.
2: Yeah. Man, to, to get into, like, number... To get into the top ten, that's a really stiff competition.
0: Yeah. number ten currently. The boy who would be... Sp- oh, yeah. The first uh, Miles Morales. hmm Yeah. I can see... I, I can envision, like, that there are a fair number of Marvel comics that are gonna bump down like Planet Hulk. Uh I like I can see our top ten changing. I have a hard time seeing the top five changing. Not saying it won't happen, but
2: it would um, have to be pretty arc- fantastic.
0: Yeah. I, I I just parable is is near scripture to me, and that's number five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I guess like what's gonna be
2: that? <laughs> yeah I guess you'd I guess, you know, these books are pretty marvelous.
1: I don't get it. I'm gonna end the I'm gonna I'm gonna stop recording. I'm gonna wait, wait we have to on, say we what we're done, reading we next. We Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. I almost hit the button just like oh no. although. Uh
0: so I don't know if y'all have noticed, but it's it's spooky times around here.
2: Spooky times.
0: Yeah, and we have we have a tradition. Ugh. Every year, come Halloween, we read us some Marvel Zombies. I don't know why we do it. I don't think any of us actually like these books.
2: I'm okay with them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're,
1: they're consistently very low on our list. Yes. They're so bad and gross. But like many American traditions, the, the, it's uncomfortable, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, goodness! so we're gonna read marvel zombies 5 which means that we have been doing this podcast for what is that six years now because this is our sixth marvel zombies no. yeah that's yeah. also how i
2: help that's also how i keep track of time is marvel zombies books <laughs> so i would appreciate it <laughs> if we, we did. not get stop. rid of it
0: <laughs> um so marvel zombies 5 we're gonna follow that up with man thing a 2017 series written by R.L. Stein of Goosebumps fame.
2: Surprisingly, And this is
0: definitely inspired by the fact that that, you know, it's Halloween time and not at all because uh, literally today, the day that we're recording this, uh, Marvel Snap released a man thing card. This, oh, I this, thought it was yeah, this pod.
2: <laughs> this podcast is not affected by Marvel Snap. Don't get the wrong idea.
0: It's a little bit affected by Marvel Snap I think I'm the only one who still plays it, though
1: I've opened it up a couple times I got more into doing the crossword every day And movie trivia every day And Zelda And and now Halo Because I've, you know Stopped being as hooked to Zelda So I just forgot about it
2: I have been so deep into the Final Fantasy rabbit hole
0: (laughs) I have a baby (laughs) (laughs) good for you Steven
1: that's what I've been into recently